what we're talking about today. We're in a series entitled Build. And I've entitled it based off of Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church. And we're considering what is it that Jesus builds? Is it buildings? Is it programs? What is it? Rather, we know that it's people. And it's his people that he's building together into his body, the church in the world. And so we're talking about how does he do this? And I've kind of broken out of that into a sub-series of pillars that we as a church base our church upon. So the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation of our church. Paul says there can be no other foundation laid other than Jesus Christ. But how is it that we are a living expression of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And that's where Paul says in Ephesians that the church is the pillar and buttress of the truth. And what that means is that as the people of God in the church, as a living expression of the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, if you will, raise the principles and the proclamation of the gospel into relational inhabitation. Places where people can connect with God, places where people can grow in their relationship with God and with one another, and places where people can grow more and mature into the image of Jesus Christ, which is God's will for each person. Last week, we looked at pillar number one, which is relationship alive with God. And this week, we're going to flow directly into the second pillar, which is authenticity, life in Christ. This week's pillar flows directly out of last week's. When we talk about what it means to have relationship with God and to be alive with God in Jesus Christ, Scripture tells us, well, this week talks about what that relationship looks like, the purpose of it, and why it is that God has saved us. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 23 and 24. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen as well. And I want you to just kind of see a context for what we're talking about today with authenticity, life, in Christ. Paul prays for the Thessalonians when he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. Here's what I want you to walk away with today. That God gives new life in Jesus to grow in authenticity of his image and to bear his glory in the world. We saw this last week with God's created intention. That when he went through creation in Genesis 1 and 2, he went through every day and created all of creation. But when he came to people... It says something different about creation of people than it does about all of the other creation. We were created in his image. We were given dominion to exercise that over all of the other of creation. And as such, we were commanded to multiply or be fruitful and multiply. And we talked about how God designed people to bear his glory, reflect his glory in the world. And as we multiply... 
more glory, right? And so today, we're going to look at the reality of what it looks like for us to grow ever more into the image of Jesus Christ and bear the glory of God in the world. Now, why the word authenticity? Well, let me give you a little understanding of why this is a word that we use because it will set the context for our understanding. Authenticity is kind of a funny word, is it not? I mean, we know what it means and yet there's an aspect of aloofness to it in many ways. It's, it's become very much of a buzzword and usually when a, a word becomes a buzzword, it just kind of destroys the word altogether. <laughs> I mean, if you're honest with it, let me, let me illustrate that. Many claim today to want authenticity. I want to be authentic. I, I want to be, uh, I, I, I want more authenticity of my life. But in that very claim, it is usually practiced or set forth as something they expect first from others instead of offering from themselves, right? Well, I'm not going to be authentic if you're not going to be authentic. I mean, you, you go first and then I'll follow, but I'm going to be way behind you right? You, you have those friends. Oh yeah, you go ahead and jump. I'll come next. <laughs> I'm not coming next because I'm going to watch what it does to you. And that's how we perceive authenticity so often in the world today. And, and, and irony of ironies is the way that most people use it, it, it it's an oxymoron. Because it, it describes uh, uh, in their use how people are acting because they want to be seen, but not necessarily as they truly are. Now, if you haven't already gone there in your mind, let me give you an illustration of this. Think social media newsfeed, right? What do people post? If you go and read somebody's news, now, it's okay, put your defenses down. I'm not condemning anybody for being on social media. Not more than... 1% of it anyway. What do you see on news feeds? You see the best, right? You see that aspect that people want to be seen about them. But what so often is unseen on social media, the parts of my life I don't want you to see. You know, this is such a crisis in our age that, that literally the younger generation is struggling from social media-induced depression. That's a real thing now. That's about all I know about it. But I've read articles on this coming wave of depression and anxiety because of time on social media. Why? Because you're looking at everybody else going, they're perfect and I'm not. Even the whole while you know that's not true, but I don't care. Right? And that's the kind of authenticity that we so often speak of in our world today. Is that what I'm talking about? Quite the opposite, not. You see, authenticity in its true essence means who we really are. Who we really are. And that's what I'm striking at and aiming at in this message. You see, let's remind ourselves of what God has done because that's always the best place to start when we're understanding what he intends for our life. God created people to live in relationship with him. We talked about that last week. And the Garden of Eden provides for us this uh, demonstration of what God desires in relationship with people. And he just wants us to be as we are with him. 
That's why he created us. The Bible says that he came into the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve, right? Why? Because the the writer tells us that in such a way that infers this was a daily activity. It's something he did every day with Adam and Eve. But on the day that we hear this, Adam and Eve have got a different agenda all of a sudden. They've been around for so long now that they don't even understand, right? But something has happened to them, and when God comes on this day, they're hiding. They're hiding, and so God calls out, Adam, where are you? Eve, what are you doing? Let's go walking, right? And they're hiding. Why? Because the Bible says they're ashamed. They feel guilt. Why? Because they're naked. (gasps) Had they always been naked? Absolutely. But for the first time, they felt guilty about it and shameful because of it. And so God comes to them in the midst of this. You see, what happened is that sin corrupted us in the fall. Genesis chapter 3. It didn't just corrupt our actions. It corrupted us to our very nature. And what the Bible tells us is that God saves us from our sin by making us new in Christ Jesus. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 says. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. We are something that we weren't before. And because we're made new in Christ Jesus, the New Testament uses this phrase, in Christ, to describe our whole life for us and where it is found. That Jesus is the source of our life. He's the substance or the content of our life. He is the sustenance of our life. And he is the strength of our life. He is our all in all. And so as we are growing into the person God renewed us to be, authentic, our life is found in Christ Jesus in every way, shape, form, and manner. And authenticity reminds us of this life that God desires for us as image bearers of his glory, the reason, the purpose for which he has saved us and redeemed us. So the natural question is, what prevents us? What prevents or deters us from this growth in authenticity? Well, the same thing that separated us from God is the very thing that prevents and causes us to be deterred in our growth in God's image. The Bible tells us that sin continues its influence on us and in us, even though its ultimate damnation is not any longer on us in Jesus Christ. But it works to deter and to prevent that growth in Christ's likeness within us. And so though we are saved from its damnation, we still wrestle with sin's influence in our life. And here's what sin does. This is the pattern of attack that sin plays with us. It lies to us so that it can deceive us To reject God in us. And in that process, it builds what we understand of as pretense. Now, I know it's not easy for us to acknowledge, but sin makes us pretentious. Because what pretentiousness is, is the compounding baggage that sin builds in life to cover up and not open up. Because that would be authenticity. 
But rather, what we want to do is cover up who we know we really are with what we want people to think about us, even though we know that to not always be true. The pretension of life that is rooted in sin deters, this, deters us in three ways in this ongoing struggle. The first way is that it, it, it is a struggle for us to try and be what we are not. The Bible tells us that because of sin, this is all in Romans chapter 1, because of sin, we've rejected God and we've acted in rebellion to try and be God. So that's the first thing that sin's pretense does in us. The second thing is that it not only tries to be what we, makes us try to be what we are not, but it makes us try to do or to get what we cannot What are we after? We're after that rightness in life. And what Jesus gives us is his righteousness. But if we live in such a way to reject what he gives us in salvation, we still live in search of that rightness, that fulfillment, that meaning, that completion in life. And without Jesus, we continue this cycle of looking for that. And and sin makes us think we're going to get it, but we miss it every time. That's the nature of sin. And thirdly, it causes us to think what we should not. We've talked about this as well, that that we rationalize why our sin is okay, sometimes even because we know it's opposed to God's word, but God won't care that much, or he's not that upset. He still loves me. He's going to forgive me. So we rationalize sin so that we can justify ourselves. And if we feel justified, then we think we're okay, we're right, But the fact of the matter is that self-justification doesn't last. And we know we're not right. And that's what sin does to us, friends. It, It deceives us. And that deception continually darkens our mind because it's, it's rooted in the pride of our life and it darkens our mind to deny and reject God. And Paul says it depraves us in unrighteous living. Not good news. Sin is bad, bad stuff, never good. There is no good in sin. And that's what we're looking at here. So it compounds layer upon layer upon layer. It's like you tell a lie, you've got to tell another to keep up with it and to cover it up, and then another one to cover that one up. And you, you're, you've been through this. You're, you're familiar with this. We're painfully familiar with this process, Right? And what pretense does is it stokes the fear of our life to subvert our faith and to hold us in this sinful pattern that destroys God's intention of authenticity for our life. God's work of righteousness in us. So what are we to do? What are we to do? Well, the gospel comes to us. And God comes to us in Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 as well that the gospel is God's power for salvation to all who believe. And what the gospel does is it comes to this life of sinful, pretentious damnation. And it declares Jesus' victory over sin, over Satan, over hell, and over the grave. And it tells us a story that we've not told ourselves. And so it proclaims a good news to us from God in Jesus Christ. But it not only proclaims the ultimate good news for us that we cannot be condemned in sin's ultimate damnation, but it also proclaims a power that is not only for eternal life, but is for life now. 
And so it not only breaks sin's damnation, but it breaks sin's influence in us even now so that we can grow in righteousness and grow in Christ-likeness in our life. And as we live in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that has been proclaimed to us, it actually produces God's will for our life within us, a growth in holiness and and righteousness and godliness. You see, friends, authenticity is God's work of salvation that's taking place in real time, reflecting eternity, whereby we as Christians are transformed by a truth-fueled renewal of the mind into Jesus' likeness. This is the purpose for which God has saved you, Christian. That's what we're talking about today and why it is so important. Now, what is the biblical word for this authenticity that we're talking about? Well, we've already read it. We read it in 1 Thessalonians, that he may sanctify you. It's what theologians call progressive sanctification. Sanctify is just the word for holy in the scriptures. And when it is used, it's used distinctively of God and, in the New Testament, of his people. And so we're talking about progressive sanctification, which describes both new life in Jesus, which is proclaimed for us. It is final. It is finished. It is complete because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it is a process of becoming more like Jesus. You say, well, wait a minute. It's either done or it's doing. No, 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 no. It's both and. Because for us to be made in Jesus' image is as sure and as certain as God's promise and his faithfulness to those promises for us. You go, wow, mind blown, right? But the fact of the matter is, friends, our whole life is given to this sanctification, to this growth in godliness and holiness In the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's why this statement in 1 Thessalonians that I begin with gives us a clear statement of God's will regarding sanctification, regarding growth in authenticity, and his promise to accomplish it. Let me read the last phrase of that verse one more time. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Friends, I want you to know what we're talking about today It is difficult at times to fully comprehend. That's because it's beyond us. But listen to me. It's not off of us. God is working in your life. And this is what he is wanting, what he has willed, and what he is working in you. And when we talk about authenticity of life in Christ, we're talking about what it means in salvation for us and the very life that we live to enter into the work of God for us and in us that it might come to full fruition through us. That's what we're talking about today. I want to give you one other verse of scripture that just kind of sets the tone for us to understand the responsibility that we have and the sovereignty that God alone holds. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 says this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his 
good pleasure. This verse captures one of the greatest disputes of Christian history. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it for you. But it's not as complex as we've made it sometimes. You will never hear me not only say, but neither will I ever infer that your relationship with God and your salvation, the eternal state of your soul in eternal life is dependent upon you. Why? Because the Bible does not teach it that way. The Bible teaches that the gospel of Jesus Christ is rooted in the heart, in the work, and the fulfillment of what Jesus did on the cross and in the empty tomb for us. And when we put our faith in him, we put our faith in his final and finished work. But friends, the gospel is not the finish line. It is the threshold. It is the entry into life with God. And eternal life begins at the moment that we are justified with God. And it continues for eternity. And what I'm saying to you today is that this is the point. It's the very uh, thing that Philippians 2, 12, and 13 tells us. This is where our work in our life enters into the relationship of what God has done for us in Jesus and we begin to work out from us what he has put up on us in Jesus and placed within us by his presence. I hope this is an encouragement to you for this is the process of holiness in life. Holiness. Holiness is not the aim that God gives to super-Christians. Well, once you get there, but you know what? I'm okay with God here. Let's don't get too much. No, no, friends. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, God's will for you is holiness. Nothing short of, nothing slighted from. Holiness in Jesus Christ is the will of God for you. And that's what sanctification is all about. Let me, uh, let me quote. Uh, B.B. Warfield, he was a theologian at Princeton University in the late 1800s, the early 1900s. And I I just want to read that it kind of measures the tension of what God has done and of what we are doing in this idea. He says this, the perfection proposed is a real perfection. And the man who attains it is a perfect man. Every part of his being receiving its appropriate perfection. An entire sanctification for the entire man. Surely here is a perfection worth longing for. Paul does not speak of this perfecting of the entire man as if it were mere ideal, unattainable, and to be looked up to only as the forever beckoning standard hanging hopelessly above us. He treats it as distinctly attainable. And then he goes on to conclude, it is as once evident that he is not speaking of Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 that he is not dealing with this perfection as a thing already in the possession of his readers it is not a matter of congratulation to them but a matter of prayer for them it is a thing talking of sanctification it is a thing not yet in possession but in petition It is yet to come to them. 
And as such, it is the aim of our life in Christ. Authenticity, as our church's second pillar or core value, reminds us that that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. That, That as disciples, we are engaging our mind to pursue a transformation that comes only by God through His truth in us. And that's what I want to help you with today. I want to provide what I'm calling markers along the process. Because friends, what I want to hold forth for you as a leader and what our elders and leaders in this church want to hold forth for you is this. That following God is not an easy task on a daily basis. But it is always worth it because what God has for you is greater than everything culminated in what the world can offer to you. And that's what we're talking about. And and I want to give to you markers today to help you personally follow Jesus. To help you understand where you are in your relationship with God. Not so you can be condemned because you haven't done enough. God never, never puts that on us. That's sin speaking to you. And so I want to give you the tools today to put that off so you can put on what God is doing in you. And as he calls to you, you can t- continue to follow him. I love to hike. And a couple of years ago, my son and I were doing this behemoth hike in Arkansas. It was the longest hike we'd ever done. It was going to be a three-day hike, two-night camping uh, backpack trip. And, and it was on what they call the Eagle Rock Loop, supposedly the most difficult trail in Arkansas. But the loop is actually a combination of four trails, and it makes a big rectangle. And if you miss a turn, well, let me tell you what happened when you miss turns. About a mile and a half down, we hit a dead end. The river's this way, and there was no place to cross. And this big hill with this snaky, viney stuff was on the other side. Lane doesn't do snakes. And if I do, somebody gets hurt because it's including guns. So, so I didn't want to do snakes. There were other people out there. And I said, man, the map says that we're supposed to turn, but I didn't see a marker. And so after a few minutes of really working this through, we turned around and we walked back about a mile and a half. And there on a tree was this sign about this big that said, Eagle Rock Loop, big arrow pointing that way. I missed the marker and ended up somewhere that I didn't want to be. I want to provide for you a way for you to see the markers of God working in your life so that you can join him with what he's doing and work out what he's already worked on you. The first marker is this. Authenticity begins with a renewal of the mind. It begins with a renewal of the mind. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1 that sin and rebellion make us futile in our thinking. Where so that we choose the lies that we hear over the truth of God. And those lies deceive us to lead us into idolatry. To worshiping and serving things that are not worth the glory or the worth that we place upon them. And what Satan does is he says, man, I got a little momentum. He sweeps in and he joins this. And the Bible tells us that Satan blinds the mind of unbelievers to be able to not see or hear the word of God. 
So what does God do? Well, he tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that God shines the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ into our hearts. In other words, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God pierces the darkness with the glorious brilliance of the truth of who he is through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And so Paul, when he instructs the Romans, 11 chapters he gives to explaining what sin has done to us and what God is doing for us. And when he comes to chapter 12, he says, now, now that you know and believe what God has done for you, what does that mean for your life? And verse or chapter 12, verse 2 tells us this. Look with me. If you don't have it in your Bible, you're, you're welcome to read from the screen. But he says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, what sin is doing is it is conforming us to the prince of darkness, the prince of this world. That's what pretense is. It's shaping us from the outside, putting upon us the work of Satan, the evil one in the world. And every layer of pretense that sin builds within us conforms us more into the likeness into what Satan wants for us, which is to kill us, to destroy us in every way. And it tells us, do not be conformed to this world, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, God transforms by renewing the mind from sin's futility, by renewing the mind from sin's blindness, and by renewing the mind from sin's deception. Let me go back quickly to Genesis chapter 3. What happened to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they chose to deny God his rightful glory and they chose instead to take of the fruit of the tree that God had commanded them not to eat and to eat from it. Immediately, the writer of Genesis tells us they felt shame and guilt because they were naked. Friends, as I said, they had always been naked. The only thing that changed was the way they thought about their nakedness and what they concluded because of it. You see, sin lied to them, and when they chose to believe that lie and to act upon it, they entered into the deception of sin, which told them something about themselves that was not true. And what God does when he preaches the gospel to us, when he works the gospel in us to uh, uh, counter sin's influence, and when he brings us to life in Jesus Christ, he immediately begins where we were separated from him, and that is with a renewed mind. God acts in the work, in the lives of believers to work on us and to work in our mind by the power of the truth of his word that comes to us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, why do you say through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because there are many people who study this word and remain unbelievers in God. Some of the most proficient teachers of religion today who have made it their life to know the Bible still live separated from God. Why? Because they remain buying into sin's lie, darkened in their mind because of its deception. Everything about your life 
everything, friends, that doesn't fully and completely align with God's word is a direct result of sin, either in you, either on you, or coming through you. Everything, everything. And every disobedience to God's word, when you see what God's word says and you know that your life does not align with it, Every doubt when you read God's word and you go, man, I don't know if God's right about that or not. I'm not talking about I don't understand what that means. I'm talking about I don't know if I agree with that or not. Every disobedience, every doubt, every disbelief. God, you're wrong about this. I've got a better way. That is all the fruit that grows from the root of sin in you. Do I tell you that because I'm just trying to put a big heavy thumb on you? No. I want you to know where it's coming from. And I want you to know what God is actively working in you so that you can work it through you and out of you to see the influence of sin and its deception to get off of you. And you can get out of that life. You see, friends, until the light of God's truth shines in you, we remain in the darkness and the futility of our own thinking. That's why your efforts to make yourself right, absent of the gospel of Jesus Christ, will only bring you back and usually put you behind where you started every time. I need you to understand about this first marker, this one thing. But I'm not just asking you to understand it. I'm asking you to believe it. That what God says about you is more true than anything that you think of you. Do you hear that, friends? What am I talking about? I'm talking about a shift of faith. That what God's word says about you is more true than anything you think of you. How does this practically work out? We often think, I'm not that bad of a person. God says we're dead in our sin and our trespasses. When we come into a relationship with God, God says, you're holy ones. We go, well, I might not be that. I mean, I'm not that bad, but I'm not that. Don't call me to such a high standard, God. And what God is beckoning upon you in life with Christ, in, in Christ, is he's beckoning upon you to see the vision of, that he has for your life and to pursue that vision instead of the vision that you put forth for your life. This is the key to authenticity is understanding that what God says is more true than even what you think. Even what you think. The second marker, this renewal of our mind leads to a very specific marker for Christ's followers. And it's this, that a renewing mind rethinks all things in light of God's truth through the gospel. So when God gives us a new mind... He's telling us that we, we've got to go back and rethink some things. You think, I've got to go sit down and rethink my whole life? No, but let me tell you how this rolls out. It rolls out that when God wants to deal with an area of your life, he brings it to your mind. He brings it in front of you, and he wants to speak to you about that area. And if you'll not worry about your whole life, if you'll just worry about what God puts in front of you or deal with what God puts in front of you, you'll live in obedience to what God is doing in you. That's what he's doing here. So Paul goes on to say in Romans 12 too, he not only says do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. It begins with a renewal of the mind, but then it goes on to rethink all things in light of God's truth through the gospel. Here's what he says. By testing, 
you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Yes, friends, God wants you to know his will for your life. This is not a game of cat and mouse. This is not a game of hide and seek. God's not trying to hide from you and good luck finding him. God is a God of revelation. He's coming to us and he's revealed himself to us. And God is beckoning upon us to trust him, to believe that what he says is more true than what we think. And the only thing that we'll embrace that with is if we live out of this renewed mind to enter in a process of rethinking everything about our life as God brings it to us. And this is through a process, he says here, of discernment. Discernment. Literally, discernment. Uh, discern is a word that means cutting. It, it, it's a word of, of cutting is what it means. And, and it is a process where we literally judge to be right or commendable. So we consider what is and we make a judgment about whether it's right or not right. Is this right or not right? And discern means this, that we cut away the chaos. We cut through the confusion. We cut through the cloudiness. Who's putting all of that there? Sin is putting that there. Satan's heaping it up on us. And the influence of the world collectively because of sin's effect upon it is also pressing upon us to think in such a way. But God gives us a new mind that we can discern from what he said what is really true and we do that by cutting away all of the confusion which removes the lie and when the lie is gone the deception's not possible it's a process friends of discerning God's will and, and, and in so doing, we test and we examine. I love these words that Paul uses to illustrate and to apply this. To, because we, we think it's perfect performance. God says, no, it's a process. And what I want you to do is I want you to see what I say against the backdrop of what the world is saying and what Satan's selling to you. And I want you to see how true and far more glorious it is than everything else that's being said to you. There are no shortages of voices in our life today, right? Most of us wear the ball and chain of a mobile phone. And in an instant, anyone who has access, and a lot of people that don't have my number, and I don't know how they got it, keep calling me, right? But God says, I'm going to set my truth in front of you, and, and I'm going to see if you'll believe what I have to say to you, and if you'll think more highly of it than what everybody else is saying to you. That's discernment. It requires a standard by which things are measured and against which things are scrutinized. You see, this process takes into consideration all the things of our life, but most specifically that area of life where God is wanting to deal with us. Here's what we usually do in Christianese. We go, well, God, I got a problem. I'm going to give it to you. But that's not the real issue. We're, we're blowing a smoke screen before God going, oh, I want to trust you, God. Here's the real thing. But this is the thing most of all. And what God does, he goes, yeah, that's good. We'll deal with that. First of all, I want to deal with that. Deal with what? I don't know what you're talking about, right? And we want to put away. We want to hide. That's because sin has sold us the lie 
that we, can, that, that we can do that with God. We can play this game, but God knows us. Why? Because he created us, and he created us in a way to have relationship with him. And the problem with our relationship is more accurately discerned by his truth to us and our discernment of that by his truth in us. And that is this process of discerning God's will for our life. And so it requires a standard by which we measure and scrutinize the thing of our life. And when God's word speaks to that issue, to that relationship, to that circumstance, to that situation in our life, and it says, this is how you do not align in your life with the truth of my word, but there's hope because of Jesus Christ where you've missed the mark. It's not condemnation and shame any longer, but now it's forgiveness and cleansing. And if you will repent and turn from your sin and turn from trusting yourself and put your faith in me to follow as I've revealed myself to you, you will not have the same guilt and shame, but you will receive through that cleansing the joy, the love, and the peace of righteousness and holiness. That's what discernment is all about. Obedience and holiness and glory is always the aim of discerning God's will. You see, knowing God's will is the process of discerning his will for our life by the light of his truth being in our life. That's this process. Christians are told to examine ourselves. We're told to test ourselves. We're told to see whether we are in the faith. And that's what that means. Are we living in obedience to Jesus? But we're also told this from Isaiah. We're told that God will be our teacher. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 30 verse 21 says, And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it. Friends, God's not put you on an island and said, Good luck. You are not alone against all the dangers of this world that stoke your fears and make you believe something that is not true. God is with you and he is working in you to bring about from you and through you everything that is good and glorious that he intends to give you. Fueled by truth, authenticity grows when the truth of God's word and the hope of the gospel confronts our darkened thinking with a renewed mind that discerns God's will to walk in it. The third marker I want to offer to you today flows right out of this second marker because when we are renewed in our mind to discern God's will, this practice of discerning creates a pattern of rethinking for us. And that's the third marker. Authenticity fosters a gospel pattern of thinking that we crucify sin and we cultivate righteousness. It's an ongoing pattern of crucifying sin, cultivating righteousness. It's the pattern of repentance in our life. Jesus teaches this. I'm going to give you four verses to take with you in this regard of this marker. Matthew 16 verses 24 and 25 says this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Following Jesus has the distinct pattern in the way we think from our mind that's been renewed by God. John the Baptist in John chapter 3 verse 30 says it most succinctly, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the gospel pattern of thinking 
in our life, friends. The renewed mind that is being transformed is rethinking all things in life because of the gospel so that it can crucify sin where we've lived in disobedience to God and so it can cultivate Christ's likeness in us. Earlier, we read Colossians 3, 1 through 4, where it said, set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above. He's telling us to set that as our aim, our highest glory. But he goes on to show this pattern of gospel-fueled thinking to kill sin and to cultivate righteousness in verses 5 through 14. And I'm not going to read them all. I just want to show you the pattern here. He says, beginning in verse 5, Put to death what is earthly in you. He's talking about sexual immorality. He's talking about hate. Talking about those things. And he lists them out. And then he goes on to say, but now you must put them all away. He's talking about anger and wrath and malice towards one another. And the thing that sin fuels within us towards other people. And he goes on to say, you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creation. And so he says in verse 12, put on then, because you have this new mind, because you can discern God's will, exercise the practice of killing sin and of cultivating righteousness in your life. Why? Because of what Christ has done for you. Clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ as God has intended for you. You see, friends, growing in authenticity in life in Christ is not a matter just of what you want for your life. It's not a matter of what you feel in your life. For relationship with God is never led by our emotions nor our will. You can't will it to be so. But it's led by truth that renews the mind so that we can steer the emotions and the will by determining and discerning God's will for us. And then finally, Paul gives us some helpful how-to in the real-time processing. When that temptation hits our mind, what do we do with it? Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take thought every Take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. It's a war for the mind. But we don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. Jesus has given us a new mind that we might know the will of God. So anything that doesn't agree or follow the pattern of the gospel truth set forth in the Bible, that is our cue to take them and subject them to the truth of God's word so that we might not be deceived by a lie, but we may be more made alive because of the truth alive in us. The fourth marker is this. Authenticity culminates in obedience to Jesus by faith that produces growth in maturity. You see, when we take that renewed mind that God has given us and we rethink our life and, and we begin to practice a pattern of gospel-fueled thinking, of, of, of crucifying sin and cultivating righteousness within us, it's culminating in our obedience to Jesus Not because we fully understand or get it at all the times, but because we're trusting to grow. And that produces in us a likeness in the Lord Jesus Christ. Following Jesus, friends, remains incomplete until we obey by faith. You may know more than anyone else about this word. 
but until you've trusted the one who is this word to follow him by faith, God's will cannot be known nor experienced in your life. Holiness, godliness, and righteousness comes by faith-driven obedience to Jesus Christ alone. God gives new life in Jesus so that we can grow in authenticity of his image and bear his glory in the world. I'll have the worship team return now. As they're returning, I, I want to acknowledge something. I know that this is hard. I know it's challenging, and I know it's difficult for you. But I want to say this to you. I want you to remember what God is doing. This is critical for us. The Bible, these are all phrases taken directly from the Scriptures. God is doing a new thing in me as a new creation by his new covenant to walk in his new command of love in Jesus Christ through whom all things will be made new. You say, wow, pastor, this is a lot today. I mean, how, where do I start? I see so many areas of my life that are jacked, right? Let me tell you, you don't have to even worry about where to begin. Just listen. Because the one who is leading you is speaking to you. And he's saying to you, this is the way. Walk ye in it. Will you trust where God is speaking to you today to begin to walk by faith in him? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Help us today, Lord, as we learn to live from a renewed mind that you have given to us and follow you by faith in obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.